are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. We'll start in Deuteronomy and then head into Isaiah, and Laura is going to read for us. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. All right, thank you, Laura. So the dog days of summer are definitely here. And yesterday, at least where we live, it rained a little bit in the evening, and you could almost just sense the grass going, ah, yes, finally. And perhaps like me, you hear that saying at our table, I had to field the question from one of the younger kids, what does dog days mean? And maybe like me, you would have thought, well, it's so hot, so like our family dog at home, you know, all a dog can do when it's that hot is just lay around. But that's actually not where it gets its name. It has to do with the stars. And I thought, how fitting this week. Did you see the photo release from the James Webb Telescope? That was amazing. I mean, you don't even have to be into that stuff. And you are seeing it this week, a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble Telescope. Just phenomenal pictures that we could see. And it took me right to Psalm 19. Do you know this psalm that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And we got to see that this week with those telescope pictures. So the dog days of summer, though, gets its name from the dog star, which you might know more commonly as Sirius. But Sirius is called the dog star, and it's the brightest star that is visible from Earth. And the Romans, so a long time ago, the Romans looked up in the sky and noticed that during the peak of summer, on the hottest days, that is when the dog star was aligned with the sun. And so they thought that the brightest star must also be the hottest star, and so it was like adding into the heat of the sun, and together we would get this most hot and humid and sticky part of the year. Now it's actually due to the tilt of the earth, which... We figured out quite a while later, but it gets its name from the Romans who coined the term the dog days of summer. As for me, I'm no scientist, but I do know that I like a banana popsicle during the dog days of summer. So during these dog days, and actually all the way into September, about the time we'll kick off kids ministry and student ministry in mid-September, we're studying the attributes of God here at the Y Church. And it's been a great first half of summer. Week after week, we come back and we hear a different aspect of something that describes God and what He's like. And we're into the shared attributes now, which means these are the aspects of God 
that he has also imprinted onto us and said, now go and imitate my character and be like me. And so two weeks ago, Kurt had us in the goodness of God was our theme. And last week we came back and it was the righteousness of God. And now this week we arrive and the theme is the justice of God under the title, All His Ways Are Just. Now originally I had these two Sundays flipped and our admin team and our worship team was very gracious to allow me then to reverse the order. But originally I had justice and then righteousness. But then in my study I was realizing that actually God's justice flows out of his righteousness just as his righteousness, we might say, flows out of his holiness. And that's not to rank these attributes or sort them in any kind of way of value, but there is a natural progression as one attribute, like a puzzle, fits with the one next to it. So righteousness and justice are so similar that they're often mentioned together. Psalm 89 is one example where it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So what's the difference between these two? We had righteousness last week. And last week we said that God defines what is right, and He always does what is right, because it flows out of who He is. That's righteousness. I want you to think of justice in this way. That it's God's righteousness now applied to relationships. That's justice. In other words, he requires the same righteous standard of us that he exhibits in himself. And I want you to think about a king ruling over his kingdom. And let's say he's a good and benevolent king. We'll need that for the sake of this example. So he is himself righteous and he will govern in a way that is in accordance with that. That means he expects the same standard of his subjects that he has himself. That's justice. And where that righteous standard is not upheld in his kingdom, that is injustice and must be corrected. And with that as the backdrop, let's look then at our first scripture reading and really what is a starting point of any conversation about justice. So this portion of Deuteronomy is called the Song of Moses. And it comes at the end of Moses' life. His successor, a guy named Joshua, has been appointed. And really all that's left for Moses to do is he's going to climb Mount Nebo, look into the promised land, and die. So we're at the very end of his story. And yet he has these parting words for his people. These people he's led for so many years. And Moses really... In all of his flaws and failures that have been demonstrated across his life, he gets this part absolutely right. His closing words to his people, he's preparing to die. And in verse 3 of what we read, Deuteronomy 32.3, he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And the name is another way of saying God's character, his attributes, what he's like. He says, oh, praise the greatness of our God. And now watch for our key word that pops up. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And so we come to the first 
point, the first principle that we have to understand, before you and I could ever get to us pursuing justice, which is a worthy cause, and we'll get to that, but before we can get there, we have to realize that justice comes from the character of God. Justice is not some humanistic ideal. It is not something that Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi came up with as some admirable principle. Justice is the prerogative of Almighty God. All His ways are just, it says. And we'll get to the outworkings of justice and how that applies to you and I, but this fact must come first. As demonstrated in Deuteronomy, justice comes from God. Now I want to show you this word that's used here for justice. We'll start with righteousness. So last week, we didn't bring up the word, but the word we'd usually see is the word tzedek. Justice is the word mishpat. So in that previous psalm, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, it's tzedek and mishpat are the foundation of your throne. And in Deuteronomy, all his ways are mishpat. It's kind of a fun word to say. It sounds like a stew or something. But here's the thing about mishpat. You and I, when we hear justice, Our go-to context is often law enforcement or the court system, the judicial system. But when we think of justice or mishpat in the Bible, it is much bigger than that. It is the ordering of all of society. John Oswald, who writes on Isaiah, says mishpat justice is that life-giving order which exists when the creation is functioning in accordance with the design of its Lord. And it begins with us submitting to the judgment, to the mishpat, to the truth statement, that God alone is Lord. That's where it begins. It's its source. And so we're not surprised in the New Testament to see that the earliest followers of Jesus, their creed, their profession of faith, was these three simple words. Jesus is Lord. That's how you declared your faith publicly. And when that then is your anthem, then you are functioning in accordance with the design of your creator. That is this whole sense of mishpat. So once we've understood that justice comes from the character of God, we're ready to go to Isaiah. So flip with me to that second reading. Isaiah 42. And as you find it, let me remind us that Isaiah was living in Israel when God's creation, his people, were not living in accordance with his design. The country was a mess. The life-giving order that God had created was, was gone. Injustice was everywhere. So Isaiah's prophecy was a warning for God's people to correct their ways and to pursue justice. God says in Isaiah 28, before our passage, he says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Makes me think of what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, listen to this very carefully. Remember, C.S. Lewis lived many of his years as an atheist, agnostic. He was a university professor. Here's what he said. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked 
unless he has some idea of a straight line. That's the plumb line of justice. That is the righteous standard. So we get to our passage in Isaiah 42. And this, it didn't occur to me until we'd pick these readings. And then I was thinking this week, this is the first of the servant songs in Isaiah. So here we have the song of Moses in Deuteronomy. And now we have another song, the servant song, both of them singing God's praise. And who is the servant of the servant song? Hebrews would tell us that there is one who is even greater than Moses. And that is this servant, Jesus, the Son of God. You see, Isaiah was not just writing as a warning, but he was also writing as a promise. Because ultimately, we ourselves cannot undo the injustice that we have unleashed by our sin. We get to this point in the Old Testament, Isaiah writes so much about this. We need an act of God. We need a Savior. And Isaiah foretells this Savior who will come and set things right. This servant king. And in this song, I want you to note that the servant's dominant function will be to bring justice. It's repeated three times. So here are these excerpts. He will bring justice to the nations. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And finally, till he establishes justice, mishpat, on the earth. And you see this three-part succession that's there in just four short verses. He will bring justice. He will bring it faithfully, or that means in truth. And he will establish justice. Not just bring it, but establish it. So if justice itself comes from the character of God, our second major principle this morning is that Jesus came to bring justice. You remember that earlier example? Well, Jesus is the good and benevolent king who came to establish justice on earth. And I want you to think about human rulers, past, present, and what we see all too often. What tends to happen with human rulers? They tend to use political power, coercion, even force if necessary, to establish justice, at least their version of justice, and to consolidate their position. Human rulers will tend to come in and smash and rebuild in their own image. One kingdom then replacing another. But look at Jesus in Isaiah 42. He won't, it says, even break off a reed that is bruised or snuff out a candlestick that's struggling. Jesus' leadership and authority and justice is altogether different. And all creation in the Bible stands at attention because there is no other king like him. Now when we think of God's justice and how it's fulfilled in Christ, I want to highlight two key aspects of it. That it comes to punish and it comes to bless. To the first point, God's justice does mean that he will display his wrath against evil. And we know this very naturally. There is a punitive aspect to justice. Much like we'd expect in our own criminal justice or judicial justice system. So if a person commits a crime, and it doesn't matter if it's like Katie's example, 
where you're breaking the speed limit, or it's a bigger example like taking somebody's life. Big or small, a person who commits a crime should be convicted in accordance with that righteous standard, and then an appropriately measured consequence is given. And then once that consequence is met, whether it's a small amount of a speeding ticket or it is years in prison, once that consequence is met, then justice has been served and the accounts are settled. Biblically, the fulfillment of God's justice, it happens now, it is being carried out, and yet it will ultimately happen on what's called the Day of the Lord, or you might know from comic strips or movies or whatever the case, Judgment Day. That's its biblical term. When Jesus returns to judge the earth. And Amos, the prophet Amos, is a fantastic example of the words to describe this day. Amos 5, 6, and 7 says, Seek the Lord and live. Or... He will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Listen to this. There are those who turn justice into bitterness, he says. Injustice. And they cast righteousness to the ground. So this is one aspect of justice, that it is the standard by which punishment is assigned. But... Justice also has to do with benefits, with blessing. We see this all over the Bible. Let's stay in Isaiah since that's what we're studying and listen to Isaiah 30, 18. I love these words. Listen carefully. We've just talked about punitive justice. Listen to this. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion For the Lord is a God of what? Justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. For the one who has been justified in Christ. You hear the justice word there, don't you? The one who has been justified by faith through the righteousness of Christ. God's justice brings you blessing. It pours it till your cup is overflowing. But we might pause at this point and we might say, whether now or past season of your life, and you could say, well, hold on. This idea of blessing for the righteous and punishment for the unjust, that sounds right. It sounds nice. But what about when it doesn't happen? And you may recall moments in your life when you felt like, why is the bad guy getting away with it? And why do the righteous suffer? And you know what's interesting? If you're asking that question this morning is that the Bible meets you in that question and asks it probably even more so than you do. Psalm 73, for example. Listen to these words. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. This is what the wicked are like. Psalm 73 says they're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. All day long I have been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. You don't have to do a show of hands, but have you ever thought that? 
Now we're not going to address the problem of evil in, in that great scope this morning. We've done that before and we'll return to it again. But today we're talking about justice and injustice. And in that sense, I want you to know that you have permission, even encouragement, to take those questions and objections right to the Lord. You have biblical precedent to do so, like we see in the psalmist and so many other places. And then we remember this. This is key. God's justice will not be evaluated in the short term. In these few years that you and I have been given on this earth, this is the short term. But the righteous judge is coming. And he will right every wrong and heal the brokenhearted. In fact, Psalm 73, the one I was quoting from, these objections, it finishes by saying, those who are far from you, Lord, will perish. But as for me, It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I don't have all the answers right now. I can't answer every injustice. But I will take refuge in the sovereign Lord. And so we come to a third principle this morning. That justice is actually very close to love. Justice is very close to love. You could even say that whereas love is the central ethic of the New Testament, think of Paul, the greatest of these is love, he says, right? Justice is the central ethic of the Old Testament. To my ear, in fact, I picture my grandfather's tombstone down at Fort Snelling, and I hear Micah 6, 8. That sounds a whole lot like the greatest commandment. Just in Old Testament language. Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? New Testament language. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Micah 6.8. To act justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. In fact, Jesus seems to echo this when he corrects the injustice of the Pharisees in Matthew 23.23. He says to them, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You've tithed, you've said your prayers, but you've left these on the wayside, Jesus says. So he maintains and builds on the Old Testament expectation of justice, and he links it to love. With that, I want to finish by asking this question this morning. It's our closing question to address. And that is, all right, so what then are the implications of God's justice for me? We know it comes from his character. We have said it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. We have said it is very close to love. And now where does that lead us? And it leads us to our marching orders like we just heard in Micah. First, that we are called to bring justice. So I'm going to give you three implications. Number one, we are called to bring justice. Now interestingly, one of the first stopping points in Scripture is to say that kings and rulers and those in authority 
have been mandated to bring justice. Even pagan kings are held to that standard. But most importantly, as we move into the New Testament, God's people are called to bring justice. And why? Because you get to walk around, students at school, adults at work or in your friendships, you get to walk around like a living, walking, breathing mirror of who God is. And you get to emulate His character, His justice. Isaiah 58, later in Isaiah, it's this beautiful passage on being practitioners of justice. And God says to His people, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? We're called to this justice, to bring justice, to set things in accordance with God's righteous standard. Now sometimes we'll talk about that on a popular level as social justice. Have you heard that term before? Social justice. And it's a fine term. There's nothing wrong with it. And yet we have to remember that at its core, what we're talking about is biblical justice. It is rooted in the character of God. It is not pulled out of thin air, out of society. Number two, second implication. If in our faith we forget justice, you can forget the rest. If in our faith we forget justice, you can forget the rest. This is like what Paul says about love in the New Testament. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he says, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, or where's the drum set? A clanging cymbal. That's what Paul is saying. You take this back to the Old Testament and look how Isaiah starts his whole book of the Bible in chapter 1. I'm just going to list some excerpts of what he says. This is God speaking to his people through Isaiah, and he says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings, he says. When you spread out your hands, I hide my eyes from you. And why? Your hands are full of blood. God says in Isaiah chapter 1, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. So in other words, you could do a lot of religious things. You could even show up here faithfully and never miss a Sunday. But if you forget justice, the Bible is telling us that is not real faith. Now if you want to get practical... What do you suppose are the kinds of injustices that God would have us tend to? Because I don't want to just leave it, you know, sort of as this fluffy concept of justice this morning. But practically speaking, what are these things? You know, there's all kinds of causes out there in the world that will present themselves as issues of justice. But what does the Bible say? Well, here's a list of ideas. 
I'm not going to quote a passage, but really what is a culmination of this biblical witness on these things. This is not an exhaustive list that we're given in Scripture. But here's what you'd see coming up again and again. And it's still just as relevant today as it was when the Bible was written. The hungry. The poor. The oppressed. The imprisoned. The widow. The orphan, the foreigner, the sick, the disabled, and the least of these. If you read the Bible, none of those should surprise us, right? Front to back. These are the biblical categories of justice. And to do justice is to tend to these things, to set them right. And to meet these needs. So you might ask yourself. In these dog days of summer. What is my justice assignment. This week. Or this season. What is God really. Impressing upon my heart. Now. And we could share ideas around our tables. I'm just going to mention a real practical one. We've been highlighting. You know, this little sheep is not just a memento for your $50 gift to sponsor a sheep. This is a justice issue that God has called me to make a difference here at home and in a place like Mongolia where there is a family who does not have enough to eat and you can provide it. What is the justice assignment that God has placed on your heart today? And finally, then, I want to close with this third implication. We'll finish here. Number three, don't stop with justice, but take it all the way to grace. Don't stop with justice, but take it all the way to grace. Because if you think about it, what does justice do? It rights a wrong, it puts things back in order. It levels things out. But Jesus does not just stop with justice, does he? He says to his disciples, he says to you and I, hey, if somebody wants your shirt, give them your jacket too. If somebody wants you to go one mile, what does he say? Go two. He then goes on to say, when you think about your enemies... Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then listen to this. He says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, justice is good. Justice is good, but grace is even better. Would you agree? If it were a math equation, I was thinking about it this way. You might put it like this. Justice plus love equals grace. And that is the message of the Bible. Grace is the gospel. Justice is getting what you deserve. But we didn't get what we deserved, did we? We got grace. God's justice was met at the cross. His righteous standard was upheld. The penalty of sin was paid. But we got grace. Jesus dying for our sins, applying his righteousness to us, that is the gift of grace. 
So my brothers and sisters, go and lift up the heads of the downtrodden. That's our marching orders this week. Go and visit the sick. Go and remember the poor. Contend against injustice. And give others the grace that you have been given. The day will come when justice will be finally and fully established on the earth. But in the meantime, in the in-between where you and I live, God wants you to do it first. He wants the church to do it together so that all may know Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord, we long for the day when, as described in Revelation 19, you will ride in in power. It says on a white horse, you will ride in faithful and true. And we long for that day, Lord, when justice will reign, when every wrong will be made right. And here in the waiting, Lord, we ask this morning as we have contemplated your justice, that our waiting would be an active, on-mission kind of waiting. And that you would use us out of your mercy to bring justice wherever you set our feet. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.